As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Listeners to my podcast know how much I love stories, so I am really excited to announce to you my new sponsor, the award-winning podcast, Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. I first got a wind of this when I read the book several years ago, and now it's a podcast, which is awesome. And this podcast, in the podcast, you're going to meet a lot of amazing women from all over the world that have changed the world in so many ways. People like Wang Zanai, an astronomer who showed why we have lunar eclipses. Wangari Matai from Kenya, who started the Greenbelt Movement that planted over 40 million trees worldwide that, that allowed her to be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for her work. Only 19% of children's books showcase women who have jobs or have career ambitions. So we need our girls to have more positive role models to show them what's possible when they dream bigger. And what's also interesting is all the stories in the podcast are narrated by inspiring women from all the different worlds of art and music and business and sports, people like Melinda Gates, entrepreneur Laureen Powell-Jobes, and Gail King from CBS. And this award-winning podcast was named the Best Family and Kids Podcast and the Top Educational Podcast by iTunes, which is amazing. The podcast is made by Rebel Girls for Rebel Girls, which means it's told from a women-first perspective. The new season started a few months ago, so give the rebel girl in your life the confidence to dream bigger. Find goodnight stories for rebel girls wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hello, folks. Dr. Tim here. And if you are the kind of parent who wants to remain an influence in your daughter's life, now, throughout the teen years and forever, you are in the right place. So just sit back and relax And listen to this podcast, unless, of course, you're driving, so you can still listen, but don't relax. But we're going to talk today about mm, busyness. As the holiday season approaches, this is a really good time to start setting intentions for how you want the holidays to, to look, to feel, and how busy you want to be. How busy do you want to be? How hectic do you want your holidays to be? How many of you want to look back on January 1st and wonder where it all went by? because you are rushing around here and there and not enjoying the moments. Who is in charge of whether or not your family is flying by the seat of their pants this holiday season? And the answer, of course, is Santa. Uh, sorry, the answer, of course, is you. You are responsible for the tone and the pace in your family. Now, the culture has told us that we need to accept that our lives are going to be busy and filled with work and activities and extra enrichment activities for our kids, uh, traveling sports teams every weekend to out-of-town tournaments. Most pe people today take their work home with them, 
even this time of COVID where many people are working more from home, we still have more homework just like our kids do. In this country, in the U.S., we get less vacation time than I think any other Western civilized country. And a lot of people give up on their vacation time because they have to catch up on their work. So we've turned over control of our schedules and therefore our lives to our bosses, to our clients and customers, to coaches, to teachers and the education system, to relatives, and here's a big one, to shoulds. It's kind of like when you when you're one of your kids is getting married and you go through the list like who are we going to invite and we and your and your kids may say at the beginning well, I only want to have like you know 50 people or 75 people and then oh we should invite Aunt Susie oh and our our fifth cousin uh, Bobby oh we should invite them and all of a sudden 300 people show up so shoulds is a huge one we'll talk about that a little bit and the new culprit for busyness is of course phones and social media so I want to start at the beginning here and give you a little historical context around busyness, especially when it comes to things like new inventions and, and things that came across our path in the last several hundred years that made it easier for people to connect across larger spaces and over time. And each one of those new inventions that came, that came around, each one of those created some anxiety about the effect it was having on people on families, on kids, and on society. Let me give you some examples. First and foremost was written language. The written language arrived in Greece around 400 BC, and people were worrying about losing the Socratic method of learning. That's how people used to learn, right? The kids would sit at the feet of the master, and they would just talk. Uh, that Q&A kind of technique of the oral society. And people were worried that writing was going to make people forget more easily, and they wouldn't be able to learn as well. And then, in 1432, Johann Gutenberg in Germany invented the printing press. And so all of a sudden, we were able to mass-produce that written stuff, those books. And that was unsettling to a lot of people because so much more information was out there. And they were worried that people were getting too distracted and overwhelmed with information. That was in 1432. I read an interesting book several years ago called Hamlet's Blackberry. I recommend it. And the book Hamlet's Blackberry was, was uh, a device that Shakespeare used to use. It was like a waxed writing tablet. So you could write on it and then erase it and reuse it. And that was contributing to information overload and busyness at the time. He was able to jot down things, to remember things. So handwriting started gaining more and more importance. And people started to believe that anybody could not put their thoughts on paper. It was a way to kind of join in since most people couldn't obviously afford a printing press. So that became a source of, of, um, of angst. There's also the creation at, at that time of some new technologies for writing by hand. Graphite pencils, fountain pens. It made more and more people want to write. And even though people were scared that it was going to mess us all up and mess up our learning, the truth was that writing kind of slowed the information thing down. You had a chance to go inward and reflect a little bit easier. Then the 1840s, the telegraph came and the railroads. And that connected people with instant communication that even went into our homes. The wires carried information from all over the world at faster and faster speeds. So people got a sense of being pulled outward 
as opposed to inward in their families because there were trains and there was telegraph lines. And then, of course, there was industrialization and that forced modern, the modern times, urbanization, people moving to the cities. Everything started getting busier and faster. And people were experiencing that in the, in the middle to late 1800s, busy and fast. And, by the way, noisy. I think people, and especially parents, started to feel more and more out of control and like they had no choice in what was happening. Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote around that time that to be truly happy and productive, you have to tune out the crowd and listen to the voices which we hear in solitude. And the complaint was it's hard to have solitude with all this stuff going on. Fast forward into the 1900s, and then, oops, the telephone came around. And then, oops, the radio came. And then eventually in the 40s and 50s, the television set. Now, all that created a mass media in this mass society, if you will. And people, again, worried all along the way that we were losing ourselves. We were losing our ability to think for ourselves because of all the information. People started talking about how our brains were being taxed and that the true source of unhappiness and stress in the world was because of all this information overload from the telephone and the radio and eventually TV. It was in 1970 that Alvin Toffler, who was the author of, of Future Shock, coined the term information overload. And I think we're still worried today, how many years, that's 50 years, 50 years later, we're still complaining about information overload. And then, of course, the next frontier became home computers and social media. Those are today's culprits. I heard a story about a family that was driving to the hospital because their daughter was going to go and get her tonsils taken out. And the daughter was kind of anxious, and the, and the dad who was driving said, Honey, what's, what's on your mind? What are, you, what are you worried about? And she said, Well, how long is the operation going to be? And the dad said, Well, the, the surgeon said probably an hour, maybe an hour and a half. And this teen girl said, well, well, how are they going to keep my mouth open that long? And that quickly shot back, oh, that's easy. They're going to hand you your phone. I think that teens especially, and probably more so teen girls, get a bad rap for the amount of time they spend busy on phones and electronics and social media. I think current data says, says that teens spend about seven hours a day on their devices. That includes a lot of things, by the way. It's also interesting, this not just kids, obviously. Research shows that we all check our phones up to 150 times every day, about every 6 to 12 minutes that we're awake. And the average smartphone user burns through about 14,000 hours of screen time over 10 years. And that's about two years of time in that 10-year period. A fifth of our time spent on smartphones. That's amazing. And by the way, that's not by accident. Those things, those smartphones and the social media and all those things, those are meant to be addictive. They're all meant to hijack our attention. And it fits well with our brains because our brains have been designed for 115,000 years to seek new information, to seek novelty. Watch the new documentary that came out recently called The Social Dilemma. I think it's on Netflix. It's really good. It explains all of this of how the companies who put out all the social media and the phones and all those things and the video games, how they, they're so cognizant of what they're doing and they're doing it on purpose. It's called the social dilemma. Now, I believe, and I think research would back me up, that a lot of the busyness that we're feeling today 
is due to the amount of time we spend on phones and social media, which in large part is mindless and wasted time. I heard about uh, this family that was at church one day, and the preacher was talking about heaven and, and how uh, everybody should be going to heaven someday. And he asked the, the, the uh, congregation, how many of you someday when you die want to go to heaven? And everybody in the congregation raised their hand, except this little boy, this little eight-year-old boy who was in the front row. And the preacher looked down and said, son, don't you want to go to heaven? And the little boy said, yes, sir, I do, but I have soccer practice at two o'clock. That is cultural conditioning, right? Cultural conditioning about busyness. Our cultural narrative has become that it's important to connect with more and more people and get more and more information and perform all this faster and faster and faster with more and more intensity, more photos and more likes. Everything is about more and faster. And that's one of the things that's causing people to experience information overload, overstimulation, and a perceived lack of control over their lives. I've even found with, with young people that busyness and stress has become like a communicable disease. It's like a badge of honor. Kids are competing to see who is the most stressed and who's the most busy. They go into schools and they'll talk about how they had, you know, four hours of homework last night and they're up till midnight. And the next kid says, well, I was up till one o'clock. And then somebody said, I was up all night. And they had to one up each other. It, they don't feel normal unless they walk into their building, into their school building, and they're stressed out and over busy. And I think it's true of adults as well. Let me add another piece to this pie of why we're so busy. And that is all the distractions that come about because of multitasking. I'm going to talk about multitasking on another podcast, but that's also become part of our cultural narrative. It's a myth that says that, that multitasking is a good thing. I saw a report and some research that in 2002, they reported that on average, people experience an interruption when they're working every eight minutes, about seven or eight times an hour which means that in an eight-hour day, that's about 60 interruptions. And the average interruption took about five minutes, so that's about five hours out of every eight that people are doing something that's kind of a distraction. And I've read research, several pieces of research, that shows that for every moment of interruption, it takes anywhere from 10 to 23 minutes to resume the same amount of concentration that you had before. So if your interruption took two minutes, it might take you 20 minutes or more to get back to the same level of concentration. And that means that people are never really concentrating very well. And that includes our kids. I saw one site that showed that the unnecessary interruptions uh, plus the recovery time it takes afterwards consumed about an average of 28% of the worker's day. And I think the same goes for our kids doing their homework. I see girls all the time, especially high schoolers, who tell me that they can't get their homework done until midnight, one o'clock. And I think part of the reason for that, I think a big reason for that, is that they're so distracted with their gadgets. They are checking messages and they're scrolling walls and they get a beep and then their friends, uh, you know, depressed. So they have to talk to them for 10 minutes and they try and get back to their work. Then they get another beep. And so they, they're up until 12 o'clock or one o'clock and then they don't get enough sleep. And the sleep deprivation make, makes it hard for them to focus the next day, which means they get less work done and slower with, and they feel more distracted internally. So they get more and more behind and it becomes a cycle. So I think, again, 
There's a lot of things that, that kids can do about that. That is something that they have a choice about. So I think first and foremost, what can we do about this? First and foremost, I think it's important that we all very consciously not buy into the cultural myth about busyness and multitasking. And I think you're going to have to take a stand that is unpopular, which means that I'm not going to compete for busyness. I think in your homes, you can sit down with your kids at family meetings and make agreements about devices, when we're going to have them on. Make agreements about activities, the number of activities. I remember at a family meeting years ago, my kids were younger. As a family, we decided one sport a season. Everybody decided that they liked downtime. They liked having time to hang out with their friends and all that. And that meant that, you know, like for instance, my son would play, would play, um, excuse me, he played baseball in the summer. And then hockey tryouts started back in that day, like in August. And then he wanted to play fall baseball. And so because we had made that agreement, we said, mm, nope, can't play two sports a season. Because what a lot of kids were doing was they were playing fall uh, fall baseball, they started their hockey season, and some of them are also playing on a, on a soccer team. And that's one kid's worth of sports, much less if you have two or three kids. So make agreements with your family about those kinds of things, about, it, about like activities and about trying to create more downtime at home. And especially about when, you're gonna have, when, you, when it's okay to have devices on, whether it's meals and car rides, when you're outside playing in the backyard, Times when everybody turns off their devices, not just your teenage daughter, but everybody, including mom and dad. Um, I also think that there's, it's really important that there's times when all of our kids and us are unplugged and unreachable in order to unwind and unleash ourselves, unleash our creativity. When, when kids at our camps are done with a weekend or a week, they, they tell us all the time how much they appreciate having the, that time to be unplugged. I mean, they were nervous about it. They were ner nervous about missing things and, and, you know, their FOMO, fear of missing out, all that. But the truth is, when they go back home, they don't miss anything that important. And they go right back into their lives. They, they like those, have those breaks. So we all need those gaps in our, in our, our time when, when we're quiet time when we can think and reflect, that quiet time that allows us to not just relax, but also for insights. Most of the time, our best new ideas, our most creative thoughts come during times of daydreaming, times of when there's downtime. That's when we have the, our greatest depth of thinking, and that's when the most creative thoughts come. I remember when I well, first started meditating like 25-ish years ago, um, I had this sense of I need to kind of sit down and get myself quiet and, you know, and try and get my mind to not be thinking, to not, not have thoughts. And so I, what I realized was that when I, what I found out was that if I had some quiet meditative time, it wasn't about not having thoughts. It was about noticing the thoughts without a lot of attachment and letting the thoughts pass through me. Because a lot of times when I got a little bit more quiet, that's when I got really good ideas for blogs and podcasts and my books and for my radio interviews and things. It was during that kind of quieting kind of time. It allowed thoughts to blossom. It allowed mental connections to happen and associations to happen, to happen in my brain. And that's true for everybody's brain. I also think it's important that you can teach your, your kids and yourselves to block off time for deep work, for deep thinking. Remember, 
the uh, comedian Louis C.K., who I like, who has gotten a, a bad rep because of what he was doing with women, which I agree with. But I, I agree that it was obviously inappropriate. But I saw an article about him one time, which was interesting. He said that he was he's a distracted kind of guy. He would be sitting at his computer, you know, trying to trying to, trying to write some jokes for an upcoming HBO special or for his uh, stand up or whatever. And he said he would he would get kind of stuck, like get kind of a writer's block kind of thing. And so it was so easy to just kind of distract himself with and go on the internet and uh, you know buying something or he would say, you know, check out pornography or something. That was what Louis C.K. would do. But what he found was that he realized that he was he was not doing the right thing. He realized he needed to kind of fight through that those times when he was bored and stuck. Because when he allowed himself to do that, that's when he experienced more creativity and more moments of flow. So he started working on a computer that had no internet connections. That's my point. And I think all of us and your kids need to create habits and rituals to, 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 uh, to sustain their deep thinking, their deep work times. You can help your kids and you decide where that, that happens best for you and how long you want to do that for and, and to have things there so you don't have to be distracted by stuff. Remove distractions. I read a, a study in a book, I can't remember what book it was, but they said that our, our brains are, are kind of designed and wired to have that immediate gratification thing first. So if, you, if there's a piece of chocolate cake on the counter and we see it, our brain says, eat it now because it may not be there tomorrow. And that goes back to our days walking around the savannah when we would happen upon a bush of blackberries and, our, and if we didn't eat the blackberries right when we saw them, they might be gone tomorrow and then we may not have any food for a week. So our brains, literally, it started with food, but our, our brains are still wired to want that immediate gratification and to want it now. But, but, if you remove that piece of cake from your sight so you don't see it, you put it in the other room, what happens is our brain has the ability to, to then shift into longer term thinking which says, you know what, do I really need that piece of chocolate cake? Not really. That's not good for me, so I don't really need that. Our brain can do that, but not when it's right in front of us. And the same goes for your phone. So when you're trying to do your work, and when our, our kids are doing their homework, I would remove those distractions. I'd remove the phone from the room. Just like it's not good for those girls who I see to have a phone in the room at bedtime. It's just too hard to not check when they hear when they hear the buzz or even the phantom the phantom rings that, that, that people have described in research because our brains are so tuned into that. So it's important that we make our office uh, space, your daughter's homework space, uh, make it a place where there's no distractions for those kinds of things. Busyness, distractions, multitasking, information overload, Stress and, and time on devices, all those things are not imposed upon us. We have a choice about them. I want you, especially during this holiday season, to start learning how to savor the moments. What happens is we'll be, we'll be experiencing a moment of closeness, a moment of fun, laughter. And it's easy for us to go right to the next thing because we're used to scrolling to the next thing. If there's a little bit of, of, of a gap in time, a little bit of a pause or interruption, we're so used to going, what's next, right? We swipe, we scroll. Instead, if you can stop yourselves, and I do this at camp with, with the girls that I'm with. We say, everybody stop for a moment, savor the moment. 
We'll be outside having this really fun hike. We'll be sitting down, having some, some quiet time, and we'll be listening to nature sounds, and we'll say, stop, savor the moment, which means that for 30 seconds or a minute, we just kind of take in what's going on around us. How are we feeling right now? We, we, we um, focus in on the, the emotions. And when we do that, it imprints it deeper in our memory, and we feel it more. And the other part of savoring the moment is to then think of another time when you felt a similar way, when you felt happy or close or safe or secure, and think about that memory for 30 seconds, and then those two memories connect, and it becomes a deeper memory with deeper feelings. So during this holiday season, instead of rushing around by the seat of your pants, take some moments sometime, sometimes to savor those moments. Be really mindful Consciously create boundaries with your phone, with any other devices, with social media. We've got to make slowing down important. We've got to build it into our schedules or it won't happen. If you're saying to yourself, well, I'd like to do that if I have time, it, you won't have time. One of Stephen Covey's seven habits of, of highly effective people was first things first. So I would put downtime, slowing down doing some things consciously, I would do, I'd make that at the top of the list so that you know what happens and then everything else tends to fit in. This is the time right now to set your intentions for the holiday season, to prevent overscheduling and to prevent undue busyness. Take charge. You're in charge. Uh, have some, some talks and some get together, uh, some meetings with your kids so the whole family can make some conscious choices about this is how we want our holiday season to look. And, be, and because of that, this is, this is some things we're going to need to put into place to make sure we stay on top of it. Thank you so much for coming by here every few weeks for these podcasts. I really appreciate it. I really do. And I also hope that you pass these on to your friends, share them. Uh, if you have comments about things, um, that, you know, send, me, send me a message at, uh, at my website at, at drtimjordan.com. I also appreciate if you have any ideas about things you would like me to talk about in the future. That would be great as well. I am uh, happy and grateful you stop by every few weeks. Pass these on. I will see you back here in a few weeks. And slow down. <laughs>